Who's number one? We are. <laughs> it's like it was planned. Uh, who's the best? Who's going to win it all? In case you missed it last week, uh, I want to officially welcome you to award season. The Golden Globes last Sunday night kicked off a two-month-long uh, series of award shows. Anyone watch the Golden Globes? It was fun. Um, apparently there's a movie with a sea monster who's lovable that I need to go see. Um, the Shape of Water. I've not seen it yet. We'll, we'll see. Anyways, um, so for the next couple months, we're going to be talking about what was the best performance, what was the best movie, who did the best, uh, who did the best job, who is best director, who is best cinematographer, who is best, and I can't believe this is a category, what was the best animated short? I don't, I, I, I just, that I just, yeah, anyway, anyways. Last week, we also crowned a college football playoff champion. Anyone want to pour some out for the, for the Georgia Bulldogs? That was a good game. Um, soon, we're going to crown a Super Bowl champion. Who's that going to be? And NCAA basketball is just getting into conference play, and the top tw AP Top 25 is going to have more meaning, uh, and conference standings are going to become more important. Where will my beloved Tar Heels finish? Will somebody please, oh please, oh please beat Duke? Oh, and so two weeks ago, back at the end of the year, uh, we were getting all these articles about the best album of the year, best movie of 2017. We were looking back over every detail from the prior year and deciding what was most important, what was the most lasting, what was the most emblematic, what was the best. For the past month and for the next few months, culture will all be about rankings. What is best? Who is best? This morning we are going to look at worship. Why did I start off talking about rankings in the college football playoff? For us at Spirit and Life, we are about helping people authentically encounter Jesus Christ through worship and small groups for lives of service. You heard me say this today, I say it every Sunday. This month, we are looking at what makes Spirit and Life, Spirit and Life. We are looking at the things that make us, us. And those things are the big three. Worship, small groups, and service. We think one of the primary ways that you can encounter Jesus is through worship. But worship comes from a Latin word that, that literally means to give worth. Worship is about what you think is important. Worship is about what you think matters. Worship is about what you think is best, what you think is lasting, what you think is memorable. Worship and power rankings get at the very same thing. I want to break this down a little further, and I hope you'll indulge me as I do. You see, right now I am a college basketball obsessive. And so much of college basketball is about rankings. There are over 300 men's Division I college basketball teams. And because a college basketball regular season is about 30 games, and because most of those games occur within conference play, most of these teams don't play each other. But to rank college basketball teams, 
or to seed the NCAA tournament requires that you decide which team is best among two teams that never played each other. Is North Carolina better than Duke? Clearly. <laughs> In all matters of goodness. But how do we know? They haven't played one another. Duke beat Michigan State that beat North Carolina, but North Carolina beat Boston College which beat Duke. Did I mention I was an obsessive? Eventually we will find out in February which team is better, but for now to answer that question we have to ask another series of questions. When you rank teams, when you seed a tournament, when you try to decide which team is better, how do you do it? Win-loss record? But what about schedule? If I have a better record but haven't played as good a schedule, how do we decide? Do you look at who the respective teams have beat? Who they lost to? Do you look at how talented you think the rosters are? Do you use some sort of confusing algorithm called KenPom.com? Do you use some, com some combination of these things? I do apologize for getting in the weeds on this. But for me, this is an exercise in what it means to make value judgments. Figuring out what matters at what point in the season is essential when it comes to ranking college basketball teams. And worship is all about making value judgments. Worship is how we frame and reframe what things are important to us. Worship is how we show what we value and how what we value is transformed by God. And this couldn't be more fundamental to our lives. We are constantly asked to make choices. These choices could be large, like where will I live? Where will I work? What career do I want to pursue? Whom should I marry? Should we have a kid? Should we have more kids? Etc. There are also choices we have to make that are very small. What should I have for dinner tonight? These choices can be so microscopic that they don't even register as conscious choices. Will I notice the homeless person in my periphery? Our brains are constantly flooded with information from photons that shoot into our eyeballs and to sound waves that go into our ears and physical sensations around us like the temperature. Our brains are constantly making decisions about which things they will pay attention to, which things they will notice, what things will they perceive. And then our conscious mind is forced to make choices as to how we will react to all of these physical stimuli. My body tells me I'm hungry. Will I have another donut? I'm tired. Will I have a cup of coffee? How do we make these decisions? What influences our choices? More than anything else, habit determines the choices we make. I am accustomed to eating donuts in church. It's what I did as a kid. My breakfast most Sunday mornings is a donut from over at the donut table. So if I get hungry after church today, chances are I'm going to grab another donut. It is my habit. Our habits are formed on the basis of what we value or what our parents valued as we learned. I know. This sermon is all over the place. I'm getting there. I promise I am. But before we can talk about worship, we need to establish that our life is an infinite series of choices that are, for the most part, determined by the habits we form based off of what we value, the things to which we give worth. 
My wife and I spend a lot of time talking to our three-year-old about how to make better choices, mainly because he's three and a boy. He'll do things that just defy logic. For Christmas, he got a sticker book, and after Christmas, he was playing with it, uh, and he needed some tape to tape down the stickers. I don't know why he needed to tape down the stickers. We just go with it. So we gave him uh, little child scissors so that he could t cut the tape, which he did, and then he wound up cutting the sleeves of his long sleeve shirt. Why? And we had to tell him that that was a very bad choice he made and he needed to make better choices. Oftentimes in our lives, we realize that we need to start making better choices. We need to change the life choices we make and we continue to make. Maybe it's how we spend our time. Maybe it's in how we spend our money. Maybe it's what we put into our body. Maybe it's how we feed or don't feed our soul. Whatever it is, we want to make a change. How do we do that? How do we begin to make different or better choices? As we've seen, in order to make different choices, we need to change our habits. But how do we change our habits? We need to change what we value. And that's where worship comes in. Almost 2,000 years ago, a small group of very committed people changed the world. Almost 2,000 years ago, a small group of young men, having followed their teacher around for a couple years, changed the world. And the funny thing is that most of the stories we have about this small group of young men are about them not getting it, about them missing the point, about them doubting their teacher, about them fearing and worrying, about them arguing about who among them was the greatest, and yet, they changed the world. What changed? What took these young men from guys who didn't get it, who would argue about who was most important, into people whose faith changed the world? I think it has something to do with the four short verses that end Luke's Gospel. Just for a bit of context, this comes after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, which I know we just had the baby born, and now in two weeks we're jumping to him like the end of the book, a man crucified and risen from the dead. But we're going with it. It's okay. So Jesus is raised from the dead and has appeared to the disciples a couple times. In Luke, we have already had the Emmaus Road experience that some of you are probably familiar with and we are going to be talking about next week. Um, and then this comes in. This is the final interaction between Jesus and the disciples in Luke's Gospel, and it goes like this. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now this is the last interaction we have uh, in Luke's Gospel between Jesus and his disciples, but they're not the last words that Luke wrote. Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which has the disciples um, turning, uh, sorry, that depicts the disciples turned, ap turned apostles working in unison, working together to start the church. The book of Acts has the disciples not acting like ambitious cutthroats, 
no longer missing the point, but as a faithful team bringing thousands to follow the way of Jesus. What happened? Among other things, the disciples worshipped. Jesus is with the disciples in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and he blesses them. And while he was blessing them, he ascended into heaven. And the disciples' response to this is to worship Jesus. Worshiping Jesus, they came back to Jerusalem not in fear, not in trepidation, not worrying that the same thing that happened to Jesus, capital execution, would happen to them. Instead, they return with joy. Then scripture says they were in the temple every day worshiping God. There's another story in another gospel that talks about how after Jesus was crucified, the disciples hid in the upper room out of fear for the Jews. They were afraid that the chief priests and the temple authorities, who were the ones that set up the plot to kill Jesus, would do the same thing to them. And yet, Luke tells us that after worshiping Jesus, they return to Jerusalem in joy and go straight to the temple, to the place where those same chief priests and temple authorities were. They're not afraid anymore. They weren't afraid that the temple authorities would take them. They were in the temple worshiping their God. The disciples had an encounter with the risen Jesus. They worshiped him and they praised God and that made all the difference in their lives. It changed them into people who would go out and change the world. And if you think they didn't change the world, here we are thousands of years later on a Sunday morning in church because of 11 guys 2,000 years ago and Jesus. I think worshiping changed them. This month, our sermons are going to be all about how we encounter Jesus Christ here at Spirit and Life. Our goal here is to help you authentically encounter Jesus Christ through worship and small groups for lives of service. My guess is by the end of the sermon series, you'll be saying that along with me. And worship is the first way we can encounter Jesus. Worship is the first of our big three. In worship, we encounter Jesus. We seek to do that here as we sing together. There's something about singing together that raises our spirits to another place. St. Augustine famously said, He who sings prays twice. Singing together in praise and worship can help us experience the God we are praising. In worship, we pray. We pray to hear God speak to us. We pray to have God change and transform us. As we pray, we let God teach us what we should value what we should love. And we ask God to help us change our habits and help us make better choices. In worship, we listen to God. We listen to God's Word. God's Word comes to us as we read Scripture. But God's Word also comes to us when that Scripture is proclaimed and expounded upon. It's very strange that for 25 minutes a week, you all sit here in relative silence and listen to me. I'm still baffled by this. And it's not because I'm so funny, or I'm so smart, or my vast wisdom. I have none of that. You all know that jokes don't get better. <laughs> it's because there's something that happens in preaching. That when a preacher proclaims the word of God, God shows up. And these words of mine, these these 
bad jokes of mine, by the power of the Holy Spirit, become something that can change and transform us. God speaks to us words of love and grace, words of conviction, and calls us to live into the discipleship to which we have been called. We celebrate Holy Communion in worship, and somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we encounter the risen Christ as we partake of the bread and the cup. We learn and remember that God takes the ordinary and through his presence makes it extraordinary. And we know God can do the same in our lives. We offer to God the fruits of our labor. We offer to God some of our money. We do this so God can teach us generosity. So God can teach us that we live in a world of abundance, not one of scarcity. So that God can teach us that God will be faithful to us if we are faithful to God. When how we spend our money is one of the most important choices we make, nothing helps change our values and our habits more than offering God our money. We do all these things in worship, and we encounter Christ in them all. And in encountering Christ in worship, we find more and more we value the things that Christ values. More and more we are intentional about making choices that are what Christ would want. And more and more we develop faithful habits in line with Christ's teaching. And we are transformed more and more. As we are transformed in... As... Uh, Alright. Take three. And as we are transformed into people who, more and more, make faithful choices out in the world, we take our place in the long line of faithful disciples and apostles who have changed the world. We are like the 11 young men who brought the message of Christ's resurrection to the ends of the earth. We are like the countless faithful saints and the martyrs who continue to spread and grow the church. We are like the quiet saints who have been uh, who have made the faith come alive in our lives. My granny was the most patient woman I ever met. She was a kindergarten teacher, which I imagine requires you to be the most patient person ever. I never heard her raise her voice, not once. I never heard her mutter an unkind word. She found something to like in every person. I think encountering Jesus in worship makes a person like that possible. My granddaddy was the most humble person I've ever met. He was an accomplished journalist who'd interviewed Helen Keller, covered the uh, space shuttle launches at Cape Canaveral, and won a Pulitzer Prize for an expose on Scientology. I didn't learn what a Pulitzer Prize was until middle school when we talked about it in civics class. Not from the guy who'd actually won one, but from my civics teacher. Of his prize-winning piece, he said, that was good. I think encountering Jesus in worship makes a person like that possible. At some point in your life, whether it's family, uh, your family, or whether it's people here in church, or in friends, you have encountered saint-like traits. You've encountered saint-like people. I believe encountering Jesus in worship regularly makes those qualities and those people possible. I come here each week hoping that God can transform me to be more patient, to be kinder, to be more loving, to be more generous, to be slower to anger. 
I hope you encounter Jesus Christ here in worship. And I hope that in encountering Jesus Christ, what you value, your habits, and your choices are transformed by God's grace so that we can be people who embody God's qualities out to a wider world. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, we read